There's a version of spirituality crafted by capitalism, decorated in shiny crystals and perpetuated by Instagram influencers. And then there's a version of spirituality that our ancestors practiced that fostered deep rememberings and activations of the heart, earth, and stars. House of Enlightenedhood is a New Earth cooperative holding a frequency that rewilds spirituality and brings it back to what it was meant to be about all along. Our innate connection with the divine. Oh, and love. Lots of love. I'm Lena Lemos, your host and founder of House of Enlightenedhood. Thank you for joining me on this podcast as we explore the expansiveness and the messiness of reclaiming the human spiritual experience. I am so grateful that you're here. Hello, you beautiful souls, and happy Friday. I am so excited for today's episode. We have such a special guest, but I must share with you that this is the last episode of season four of the House of Enlightenedhood podcast. This journey from over a year ago when I decided that I was done with this podcast and I recorded the so long farewell episode, and then the universe had different plans. And I think that's the beautiful part of surrender and what we're talking about on today's episode of having that trust of where the universe is guiding you, even if you made up your mind that you wanted to end your podcast and be done with it. And the universe says, nope, we need this platform for those of us to feel safe and seen and explore our souls and the immense change that has happened in my life throughout season four of this podcast has been the biggest one yet. And I can only imagine what life will be like when we come back for season five. But without further ado, I have to introduce you to today's guest, the closer of season four, Coot Blackson. Coot is a beloved inspirational speaker and transformational teacher. He's the author of national best-selling book, You Are the One and The Magic of Surrender, which we will be talking about today. He is widely considered the next generation leader in the field of personal development and has been featured on Larry King Now, Fox and Friends, Dr. Drew, and Inc. Magazine calls him the mindfulness guru billionaires go to for advice. Coot offers a fresh, bold look at spiritual awareness for a whole new generation. He recently received the 2019 Walden Award in the New Thought Wisdom category that Unity Organization honors once a year to recognize socially conscious leaders who are making the world a better place. His mission is simple, to awaken and inspire people across the planet to access inner freedom, live authentically, and fulfill their true life purpose. Today, Coot and I are talking about all things surrender. And in reading his book, I didn't expect myself to get so emotional about this idea of surrender. But I think we're all really being asked right now to let go of the fear, to surrender to the magic and accept the fact that what may be in store for us could be completely beyond our wildest dreams. So Coot and I are talking about how we can let go that need of control, how we can offer ourselves and others more love and how we can truly, truly find the magic in surrender. So this interview will be up with Coot Blackson right after this. 
House of Enlightenhood is a heart-centered cooperative uniting in the frequency of love. We're building the new earth through community and supportive containers for spiritual exploration, healing, and expansion. House of Enlightenhood's sacred online gathering space is one part mystery school and one part social community, open to anyone on the inner journey and co-created by a team of light leaders. We believe in a spirituality that returns to our roots. So whether you're just awakening or ready to pioneer a new paradigm of spirituality, we've been waiting for you. Learn more at houseofenlightenedhood.com. Thank you so much for joining me today. It is such an honor and I'm so excited. This will actually be the last episode of season four of my podcast. And I think it comes at a perfect time that we're talking about surrender today because it has come at this time in my journey where I am just so deeply being asked to surrender. And uh, I really want to get into your book, but I think it's really important to mention that my idea of surrender has always been like the last resort. And it's <laughs> that moment where you're down on your knees and you're like, nothing else has worked. Please universe, just <laughs> I, I surrender. I give it all up to you. And that's why I think I'm so excited to talk to you today about surrender and your perspective about surrender and your book, because it truly is, and this is in the title of your book, but it is where the magic happens. It, it is the magic. But I think before we get into that, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story, for you to share your story with our listeners. And where did surrender come into your journey? How did you, how did you discover this idea of surrender that is now just such an important part of, of what you're sharing with others? Yeah, um, for the, the book, this was not the book I thought I was going to write. And so the whole process of writing the book was in and of itself a kind of discovery because I yeah. had all of these ideas of the book I thought I should write and the book I thought would sell and the book I thought my clients would want and people would want and, you know, uh, my audience would would, would would eat up and the publisher yeah. was, would want. And, and none of that none of the ideas of the intelligent ideas of what I came up with really, really, really resonated authentically. I mean, mm. they could work. I could have done them. They would have been great, but it wasn't truly in integrity and alignment with my soul. Yeah. And so when the, the, the topic of surrender was the only thing that had an energy to it, had a light to it, that I felt like that's what the topic is. And then I resisted it thinking, who the hell wants to surrender? It's like going to the freaking dentist where you know you should, but you don't <laughs> yeah. want to. You know, we have all these misconceptions, which we'll get into. And, yeah. and then it just became undeniable where I had to surrender to the message and the book that was seeking to happen. And when I did, and this will go maybe into my backstory, when I did, everything about my life started to make sense. Everything about what I went through as a kid, everything about my parents, which I can get into as well, my father, my mother, how they met, what I had lived my whole life without conscious awareness was really about, let's say, the real process of surrender. And I didn't know it as a kid, but when I really surrendered to the book, that's when I thought, wow, I have been prepared to write this book in a way that's accessible for the new generation. And I've been prepared to like engineer, to be a spokesperson, to 
to promote surrender, you know, right. uh, to the mainstream. And so, so I was really excited for me, you know, my background, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese, how they met. That's a whole story we can get into. Yes, please. Uh, and, 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 do you want me to share a bit about how they met? Because that was that's gonna yes. be a little crazy. So, so here's I've been how my telling parents, everyone this story because it's it, just amazing. It, here's how my parents met because I think it frames where I come from. So my father, uh, and I often don't share this story, but my father, basically born in Ghana in the middle of nowhere, would have these visions of a Japanese guru, Japanese spiritual teacher, uh, a mystic, and would come to him. He didn't know if this guy was real or not, would come to my father in his dreams and teach him about life and the cosmos and the nature of reality, you know? And and so my father in Ghana in the mid-30s, in the 40s, in mid, literally in the middle of nowhere, had no way of knowing or connecting to this person. So this guy would teach him about life and the mysteries. When my father was 15, he had the spiritual experience, a religious experience, where he started, you know, he gave his life to, to God in a traditional sense, and he started healing people. So this 15-year-old kid starts literally healing people, putting his hands on them. And, you know, my father became known as the miracle man of Ghana. So my first memories, as an example, as a kid, my childhood, my upbringing, were literally seeing, you know, being this chubby kid in Ghana, West Africa. And I, 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 I remember being lost in the crowd and I would literally see a crippled woman crawling on the floor and she picks up the sand that my father walks on without his knowledge and wipes it on her face and stands up. I mean, wow. crazy stuff, but it didn't seem that crazy at the time. For me at the time, it just seemed normal. I didn't know any different. I didn't know any better. It just felt like this is everyday life. And so I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear and people stand up out of wheelchairs and, you know, incurable diseases being cured. My father would put his hands on someone who couldn't see and they would start seeing stuff that you wonder if it's real, but, but there were no cameras around, no great promotion, no you know, social media, just stuff I just saw with my own eyes. And so that was my upbringing, a very mystical upbringing where I grew up with this sense of possibility. So my father's 15. He starts healing people, becomes known as this miracle working kid, this miracle working young man. He starts basically from 15 to 37. He builds 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa. My father was a very spiritual, mystical kind of person, not just religious, but he went to India, had these spiritual experiences in India, you know, that were really amazing in the Himalayas. And so he got married, had three children. His first wife dies. So now imagine he's 37. This is in the 70s somewhere. And he's in a store in Ghana, West Africa. A book kind of falls off the shelf. He picks up the back of the book. He sees the face of this Japanese guy who was coming to him in his dreams. He couldn't believe that this person was real. He didn't know this person was real. So he, he gets the address. He writes to this person and he said, look, you've been coming to me in my dreams. You've been teaching me in my dreams. I didn't know you were real. Now I'm shocked to find out you're a real person. Like you're my spiritual father. This man, sends his son, basically his son-in-law, to meet my father in Ghana. They didn't have internet, so flew over, met my father, was so impressed with what my father had built. He invites my father to go to Japan to meet the guru, the spiritual teacher, and go on a lecture tour with the spiritual teacher in, in big auditoriums and stadiums my father accepts. Before the son-in-law goes back to Japan, my father says, I'm looking for a wife. My first wife has died, so please pray for me. Man says, no problem. So the son-in-law goes back to Japan, gives a lecture tour, gives, announces the dates that my father is coming to Japan to go on a lecture tour with the guru. My mother grew up in this spiritual organization. So this Japanese guru 
was her teacher, her, mm -hmm. her, her father's teacher, her mother's teacher. She grew up meditating in this organization. This was her life. And so, you know, in the 70s, my mother was about 28, 29. If in Japan, if you're not married by 20, 24, 25, have kids by 26, 27 back then, you're old. So now she's 28. She's not married. Thinking her life is over. She wants to get married to meet her soulmate. She says a prayer. Here was a prayer. And this is where I would say, you know, like I was born into surrender in a certain way as a foundation of my life. Her prayer was simply this. God, I will marry anyone you tell me to marry. Anyone you tell me to marry. I don't care. Sometimes we have all of these ideas of, you know, the person we should be with, we think we should be with, which is often based on our unconscious projections from our childhood. And, and, and we end up, you know, holding tightly onto that. And we don't realize that we end up limiting life with our own limited intention. And so she has just said, I will marry anyone you tell me to marry. I don't care. Black, white, green, orange, tall, fat. It doesn't. Street cleaner, trash cleaner. I don't care. Just make it clear that this is my partner, this is my soulmate, this is my highest destiny, make it undeniable. My mother's in the audience, she hears about this African man coming to Japan on a lecture tour. She says she feels chills in her body and has this knowing, this is my husband. So Japanese style, she writes to my father, nothing romantic, nothing forward, all she writes it, by the way, my mother couldn't speak English, my father couldn't speak Japanese, my mother writes to a translator being her sister, and all she says is, I look forward to hearing you speak in Japan on these dates. See you soon. That's it, basically. My father, in his meditation, receives a guidance that your wife is coming to you. She's coming to you any day. He goes to the mailbox. He happens to be in London. He goes to the mailbox. There's a letter from Japan. He doesn't know anyone in Japan. He holds the letter before he opens it. He says, I have a feeling this is my wife. He opens the letter. It's a letter from my mother in, in, in her broken English. And he says, this is my wife, no picture, no, no romantic, anything he says, this is my wife. He writes to my mother and he says, would you be open to moving, moving? Now he hasn't even seen her, hasn't talked to her. Would you be open to moving to Ghana? This is in the seventies, right? So my mother writes back through her sister translating and she says, if it's God's will, he writes back and says, yes, it's God's will, marry me. She accepts. She, talk about, talk about, like, this is extreme. Now, we're going to break down baby steps, but this is extreme, radical trust and surrender in the flow, in your soul, in the universe. They meet for the first time in Japan. They can't speak. They can't even talk. They basically agreed to get married. My father goes on this lecture tour. They barely know each other. They're trusting something deeper than their logic and their egos. Six weeks after, my father's basically arranged the wedding, you know, in the 70s, when sort of interracial, you know, marriages in Japan weren't very common. They still aren't that common, but certainly not then. A boundary breaking, so to speak. You can't just marry a Japanese bride and not do a wedding and honor the parents. And so my father has no money by Japanese standards. Again, so another slight issue. Now, a whole wedding is being planned. He has to pay for it. He has no money. He says, okay, well, I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust what brought me here. Six weeks later, he goes to his mailbox. There is an envelope, anonymous, no name. He hasn't told anyone he doesn't have money for the wedding. No name, anonymous, an envelope that is with $7,000 in it. Oh. And it says, this is in the 70s. This is quite a bit of money. $7,000 that says, this is for your wedding. That's it. No name, anonymous. They basically get married. They, they, they can't even speak on their honeymoon. They go to Ghana. I was born a year later. And, and life happened. And so for me, 
this energetic of surrender has been a part of my life. And so born into this environment as a kid, I was a very empathetic kid. And there was always a part of me that wanted to help people in some way. There was always a part of me that I felt people suffering very deeply and I wanted to alleviate that. I didn't know what that would look like. And so growing up in this mystical environment, imagine my father has 300 churches, hundreds of thousands of followers, a huge church in London where I grew up. Uh, we had to flee from Ghana to London because of a coup. And so they were looking for my father because my father was the spiritual teacher and advisor to the president at the time. So my father happened to be in London, couldn't go back. My mother and I were literally smuggled out of Ghana. We couldn't go back. We ended up in London. So imagine I'm age eight. My father's built a church in London now. It's huge. And that's when my speaking career began because at age eight, I gave my first talk in front of my father's audiences. My father just threw me in front of the audience. At age 14, I was ordained as a minister, given the mandate to take over my father's you know, operation. I was gonna be the successor. And as much as I wanted to help people, as much as I wanted to you know, inspire people in some way, I, when that was announced, I knew that that was not my path. I knew that that was not my destiny. It was as though my entire life was planned out for me by my father and everyone else. And my heart sank because in that moment, I knew that this was not why I was born, but I was too afraid to speak the truth. My fear was, you know, if I dared to be who I am and I dared to speak my truth to my father and I dared to reveal what I really want in life, then I'm going to lose his love. I'm going to lose the relationship. I'm going to be outcast. I'm going to be alone. And I think so many of us, we allow fear, fear of what people will think, okay. fear of rejection. We allow fear to stop us from being who we really are. The fear of if I dare to be who I am, you won't love me. And we end up holding back so much of our truth. And so it took me four years to really muster up the courage to have the conversation with my father and a lot of conflict, a lot of questioning, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of terror, a lot of fear. But it got to the point when I was 18 and I started feeling this calling to come to America. I started reading a whole bunch of self-help books at this time. Everyone from the Eastern mystics to the Wayne Dyers and Louise Hayes and Deepak Chopra's and Marian Williamson's of the world. And I thought, wow, I want to go into this field of self-help and I don't have to do it through religion or the church. I can do it in hotel rooms. I can write books and there's a whole different way. And so I felt like my soul was literally pulling me and guiding me to America. I knew no one here, specifically Los Angeles, because this is, felt like the Mecca. This felt like where all of the authors seemed to live for some reason, you know, uh, LA, San Diego, San Francisco. So I thought, I wanna go to LA, <clears throat> meet these people, go into this field. And I felt this undeniable calling in my soul. Sometimes what your soul guides you to do, what makes sense to your mind, and sometimes what your soul guides you to do will often be not, will not be convenient. And it certainly wasn't convenient, but I knew that this is what I was being guided to do. And so at 18, I decided to not go to university. I looked into my future and I saw that I could follow the expected path. I could be successful by my father's standards, everyone else's standards. But if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my, my own integrity, if I didn't have my own soul, then what kind of success is that in the world? And if I start living a lie now, I would have to live this lie for the rest of my life. I'd have to live this lie in order to keep getting love and validation. I'd have to live this lie until I'm dead. And that just felt like being dead. And it felt like a soul suicide. And the pain of that 
was so intense as a kid. The pain of that was so brutal that it, it, it just shook my heart. And I knew I was terrified. I was scared. Sometimes people say you have, to, you have to be fearless. I was terrified. I was scared. But I knew what I had to do, which was confront my father, which can be very scary for us as, as kids, uh, confront my father and speak my truth and leave everything behind. And so at 18, my life really shifted. And that took me in a trajectory of kind of where I am now. I had that conversation with my father. I told him I'm not taking over. And we didn't speak for two years. Right. And it was 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 really heartbreaking, really difficult, but it just felt right. I really believe that when you follow your truth, when you follow your soul, when you follow your knowing, when you when you like don't compromise what you know deep, deep inside, not at the level of the mind or level of emotion or level of mood, but the level of deep knowing. If you follow your soul, your soul's truth, you will always end up in the right place. You may the the, the route that you take may not be the one that you most expect, but you'll always end up in the right place. It may not be what you most expect, but it will be the right place. And that's what I found over and over again. And so, yeah, cut a long story short, left everything behind, terrified, scared, um, no idea where I was going, just following my soul. And I ended up what enabled me to come to the US, which is where I knew that there was, the, the universe was guiding me is once I had the conversation with my father, I ended up winning a green card Wow! in the lottery, the green card lottery. Came to the US, two suitcases, $800, you know, in the country, and went and found teachers and mentors and authors and many of the folks I read about. And that took me on a journey of learning and growth. Then I started traveling the world years later in terms of going to, I got to the place where I wanted to know truth for myself. I wanted to know answers for myself. I didn't want to just read about it. And so... I started traveling to Israel, studied with rabbis, traveled to Thailand, studied with monks, traveled to, you know, uh, Bali and, and South America, studied with shamans, took me to India where I had certain really profound experiences. And it was really out of that that I came back to America and wanted to, to coach people and help people and inspire people. It started one-on-one, -on -one, started one-on-two, one-on-five, and it just evolved and grew and expanded over the years. So that's the short version. <clears throat> Wow. There's a lot. There's, there's so much there, but I think I, I resonate so deeply with this idea that your soul is just calling you to do something and you just know that you have to do it. But I want to unpack that a little yeah, bit because I think it. in doing that, especially when it's our deepest desires and our dream and the way that we see ourselves showing up and serving others, it is so hard not to want to control every single step of how that's going to look. Mm -hmm. And I have continuously found myself on my path, trying to control every step of, of the path to getting there of what I want to accomplish and who I want to be and what I want to discover for myself. So what advice would you give for someone who is, you know, has taken that leap of faith, has surrendered that this is their true path, but then is still finding the struggle in the how it's going to unfold, when it's going to unfold, what it's going to look yeah. like. Yeah, I, th I think that control is a normal uh, response because underneath that is fear, you yeah. know. And, and, and I think if we can just acknowledge that fear and have a relationship with that fear, it, it shifts. We don't have to judge it. We, it. Many times we feel ourselves controlling and then we try to control the control. And to me, the real issue is not the control and the real issue is not even the fear. The real issue is how do you relate with yourself? 
How do you be with yourself? And when the fear arises, can you love yourself? Can you be kind to yourself? Can you be gentle with yourself? Can you encourage yourself? Can you nurture yourself? Can you can you be your own cheerleader? Can you can you meet yourself with kindness? Because even that fear has a positive intention. That fear often arises out of self-protection. Like, oh my God, don't go broke. Oh my God, don't get hurt. And so when we can just acknowledge, like, hey, thank you, thank you, thank you for being concerned. Thank you for being you know, concerned that I might be homeless. Thank you for being concerned that uh, I might be in a little dangerous situation. And, and so to me, fear is not good or bad. It's just how we relate to it. And so if we allow fear to hijack us and kind take control, then I think it, it can be limiting. And so to have a relationship with the part of ourselves that is afraid, recognizing that you are not the fear, there is fear. And fear is a signal. You can use the fear to see, okay, am I, am I, is there something really to be afraid of? Is there something I need to pay attention to? Or can I just be kind to myself along the journey? The other thing I would say is whenever you are expanding beyond yourself, whenever you are expanding, like true growth lies outside of your comfort zone. True growth will require that you go beyond your current self. The next level of your life requires the next level of you, which requires that you do things and expand beyond your current identity. That is in and of itself terrifying because we're conditioned to believe we are this person. We're conditioned to believe we are this, this sort of ego structure, this self, this person, this, 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 this character. And we hold so tightly to this version of ourselves that we think ourselves to be. And that version of ourselves has created our life up until now but that next level of our life requires that you let go of your current stories and belief systems and paradigm and way that you see the world, which requires a surrender, which requires a letting go, which for our sense of self, our ego is terrifying because it requires that we question what we believe. It requires that we question what we think is possible. It requires that we question who we, you know, what we believe about life, abundance, money, relationships, you know, our value, our worthiness so that we can expand. And so the ego's job is to reinforce its existence, to reinforce our existence, our sense of identity. And so it's natural that fear comes up when we expand. And I would actually say, it's okay, breathe through it. When you have a relationship with it to realize, it, it's okay that I'm feeling fear. The fear often means I'm just growing and expanding. I don't have to be afraid of this fear. I would actually say too, that if you don't feel some fear, likely the goals that you're setting and the life that you're living is way too small, mm. is actually too small. So the fact that you're feeling some fear is a sign that you're moving in an evolutionary direction of growth. If you go through life and you're like, yeah, another goal, that's boring. You know, I can do that real easy. I guarantee you that the goals you're setting are too small. When you, a true goal that is a worthy goal will force you to move, to question everything about yourself, will force you to question who you are, will force you to question if you can even do it, because chances are you've never done that before. And so that goal is evolutionary because it forces you to, to question yourself, to question your identity, to question your capacity so that you can tap into a dimension of yourself that you haven't tapped into before. That is a profound goal. So one, one, one other thing I would say, if people are wondering like, okay, wh wh where do I begin? Where do I, where do I start? Start by taking small actions. 
Start by taking small actions in the direction of your goal. Sometimes we focus on everything that we need to do and the hugeness of the vision that we've been downloaded, that the vision freaks us out, that we get overwhelmed. And because we're so overwhelming, we're like, how the hell am I going to do that? And we don't even start. And they're not even starting can seem like sabotage, but it's a self-protective mechanism that's trying to protect us and has a positive intention. When we realize that, then we can break down the goal and go, okay, what's the next action step? Well, what's a, what's a small next action step that I can take towards that goal? And then before you know it, one step, least next step, least next step, least next step, focus on the small. Many times we focus on the big, which freaks us out rather than focusing on the small. The last thing I'll say is this. <clears throat> <clears throat> to truly begin shifting and transforming or to truly begin shifting and surrendering, one place that people can also start or one place that I see, or one thing that I've seen keeps people stuck or blocked are all of the ways that we lie to ourselves. As human beings, you know, it's often out of fit, we're afraid. So we lie to ourselves because we're afraid of the consequences. So all of the lies that we tell ourselves keeps us stuck in fear. And often the fear keeps us stuck in a loop of lies. And many times we don't even know that we're lying to ourselves because we're lying to ourselves. And sometimes the lies are unconscious, but it's a self-protective mechanism that keeps us locked, keeps us stuck. And so we stay in relationships that we know aren't right, but we're afraid to own the truth. We work jobs that we know we're compromising our integrity, but we stay out of security and out of fear. And so what I'm really saying is to truly start shifting requires the willingness. If there's one thing people can start doing, it requires the willingness to start telling yourself the truth about who you are, about what you want, about what's real, about what you feel, about what's important, about your true authentic feelings. To me, real transformation begins with truth. Telling the truth to yourself without compromise. Now that can feel scary because of the consequences. So what I would all what I would always tell people is take the pressure off of yourself of having to even take an action. Take the pressure off of yourself of having to do anything. Just acknowledge the truth. Sometimes we're afraid to acknowledge that you know what, I'm not happy in this relationship because we're afraid, oh shit, that will mean I have to get a divorce. That means I have to break up. It doesn't mean anything other than just tell the truth, feel the truth, let the energy and the feeling of the truth marinate in your body, in your being, in your system, in your heart, and see what, what, that, what that marination process does inside of you and see where that leads you as a next step. So number one, ask yourself, what lies am I telling myself? What lies am I telling myself? To me, truth it, it, it's like it's real spiritual practice. Yes. If, if if we did nothing other than if we didn't visualize and pray and meditate, do all yoga and all those great things. To me, truth is real yoga. Truth is real meditation. Truth is real prayer. If we really start telling the truth, so much unnecessary stuff will start falling away from our life. So what lies am I telling myself? We have to want the truth more than we want what we have. We have to want the truth more than we want what we want or what we think we want. And so one question I often ask people is, what do you want more than anything else? What do you want more than anything else? Because I have found that many times we say we want to be free, but freedom isn't free. We say we want to be free, but we want our comfort more than we want freedom. We want our security. We want our safety. We want our validation. We want looking good more than we want to be free. And so when we're clear that we want to be free, 
whatever that means to us, more than whatever we currently have that may not be working, that's when breakthroughs happen. So what lies am I telling myself? Second thing is, what am I pretending to not know? It's a deeper cut of the question. In so many ways, we play this game of confusion and I don't know, I'm not sure. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know if this relationship is right for me. When deep down, we know. We have to start with, you know what? I hate my job. I hate my, I freaking hate my job. Feel that. I'm no longer in love with this person. It hasn't been right. It hasn't been aligned for five years. Feel that. You don't have to do anything, but feel it. And so what am I pretending to not know? Because sometimes from the ego resistance perspective, we confuse ourselves and we start believing in our confusion as reality. When deep down we know there's a part of us that knows everything because at the deepest level, we are everything. And so sometimes we play this game of confusion. Like, I don't know what, what my purpose is, but that becomes a sort of self-protective mechanism because if I really knew what my purpose is, which I have an inkling, then I might have to do something about it. But if I don't know what my purpose is, then I can kind of stay in the corner, right? I can stay in the corner and pretend I don't know, then I can always live in the future fantasy of possibility of the hope of that happening rather than take the risk. And so what am I pretending to not know? And last question I think people can ask themselves. And to me, they can do this every day. Like to me, I call it a truth process that you can do with yourself daily. What lies am I telling myself? What am I pretending to not know? And what, what, what are the lies I'm telling myself? What is it costing me? What is it costing me? And be willing to feel the pain of the lies. To me, pain is a gift. Pain is a blessing. Pain is your friend. Pain is feedback. Pain is often showing us where we're not aligned. Pain is showing us where we're betraying ourselves. Pain is showing us what we're suppressing. Pain is showing us what we're not acknowledging. So to me, it's a gift. The issue isn't the pain, it's what we do with the pain. The challenge is in our culture, we've, we've been conditioned from childhood to not be honest about the pain, to, to, to avoid it, to drug it away, drink it away, sex it away, shop it away, social media away, you know, suppress it away. Just don't feel the pain. But that all that leads to is the continuation of the lie, the continuation of being stuck. And so I think if we, if, even if we're afraid, we can acknowledge you know, I'm terrified. Even if we're afraid, let's go to a deeper level of acknowledging what we're really afraid about. And just being with the truth of that and allowing that to, to begin. There's such a peace that comes with that and a, and a lightness and letting go and, and truly looking in the mirror that way yeah. and accepting ourselves. And <clears throat> you're right, it's not something that we're conditioned to be able to do. And especially in our societies, like push it down, don't feel it, don't feel it until the day that it erupts. Exactly. <laughs> like I tell people, like, okay, you cannot deal with that, but at some point it will deal with you, or you cannot deal with that truth, but at some point you will have to deal with it in the stuckness that ends up showing up in your life. So for instance, if someone is in a place where like, oh, I'm not going to deal with that. You're going to have to deal with it. And often you'll have to deal with it because by not acknowledging the truth and dealing with the truth, it will often manifest as some sort of emotional pain. At some point, it's depression, resentment, anger. A lot of people that we end up feeling depressed, we're suppressing something we're not acknowledging. It may manifest as a physical ailment. I feel like, wow, why do I feel this constant backache, shoulder ache, eye ache, infections, throat, something, getting colds all the time. Like a physical, a temporary physical ailment is how sometimes that lie manifests to our body. It may manifest as an ongoing uh, disease. 
you know, where the body has an intelligence and what we're not acknowledging ends up manifesting through the body in a form of disease as a way of communicating to us. Uh, sometimes, here's another way I've seen a, 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 an untruth or something we're suppressing manifesting. When we suppress our truth, we suppress our energy, we suppress our emotion, which suppresses the natural cycle and flow within us. And so what I've also found is happening is sometimes life starts getting a little disjointed, like, like mm. things don't flow. Like life isn't flowing. Everything seems to be a little stuck and I'm not in the flow. You start getting out of the flow because all of the energy that it's energetically, psychically takes to suppress your energy and the truth is going into not dealing. So now the energy within us isn't flowing and we're no longer in flow with this river of life. Lastly, I found when we don't acknowledge the truth and we suppress those feelings, we suppress our truth. You may end up constantly attracting people in your life that reflect to you the disowned feelings that you're feeling. So, for instance, mm -hmm. like, why do I, why do I keep attracting angry people? You know, why do I keep attracting people that are resentful or depressed? Why do I? Well, everyone else is resentful and depressed. Why? When, when we're not really realizing, ah, oh, they're a mirror, mirror manifestation of my own consciousness that is showing me what I'm not dealing with. And so I think the truth will always set us free. The truth will always set us free, even though it might be challenging at first. I think that's a good segue into talking about love and the way that surrender is unconditional love, not just for ourselves, but others. And then in accepting these things, the way we feel doing it in a way that is loving and compassionate towards ourselves so that it's not a, you know, an equation of our worth or who we truly are, but in letting go, seeing ourselves through, through a lens of love. So for someone who's really struggling with self-love and, and looking at themselves through that place of compassion, what advice would you give to, to help us come back home to, to ourselves and to our heart? You are love. And you were birthed from love. And the fact that you're alive and the fact that you're here and the fact that you're on this planet and the fact that you're existing in this moment as a human being with all of the challenges and all of the difficulties and all of the ups and the downs of what it is to be human, like life every moment in some way is, is, is loving you. Existence every moment in some way is loving you unconditionally regardless of whether you do it good or do it bad or meditate or don't meditate or existence is loving you every moment. Existence is breathing you every moment. And to me, this is like a kind of proof that we, it's, it's like the, the divine God, the intelligence, the universe proving to us that we are lovable as we are. You know, it's not like, well, if you're good and you behave and you pray and you meditate and you're a nice person, you serve people, then the sun's going to shine on you. Then we're going to, we're going to let you breathe. It's just life is loving us unconditionally every moment, regardless of what we do or don't do or, or, you know, any of that. And I think that is a kind of proof that we are lovable just as we are. It's, it's just existence, you know? And so I think that even as human beings, even in self-help, I think we sometimes put so much pressure on ourselves to fit into an idea of what we think we should be, an idea 
of, wow, you know, Dalai Lama's that way, or, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh is that way, or, you know, Deepak Chopra, Eckhart Tolle, you know, so-and-so is that way. So that's what I have to be. And when I'm that, and when I get rid of this, and when I deal with that insecurity, when I deal with that issue, when I deal with that foible, that, that aspect of myself, then I'll be lovable. And so sometimes even the drive to heal ourselves, the drive to transform ourselves can come from a motivation of not accepting ourselves or come from a motivation of, shall I say, hatred. Like, like I'm not lovable as I am, but if I can just heal myself and get rid of that and heal that and shift that and transform that and you know cleanse that, then I'm going to be lovable. So even the drive to heal ourselves is rooted in lack of loving and self-acceptance, which then perpetuates the cycle of self-hatred. So I think it's really important that we also look at what is motivating me to heal? What is motivating me to be my best self? Because I, I have to fit some version of my best self that I need to be. And I'm coming from a place that myself right now isn't acceptable. And then, and so what that sets up is a kind of unconscious dynamic of internal resistance. Mm. And we don't realize like sometimes our sabotage has a beautiful intention. Sometimes our sabotage and our screwing shit up in our life is coming from that place of knowing that we're not accepting ourselves as we are. We have this idea of who we think we need to be. And we're holding a standard on ourselves that until I'm that, I'm not going to love myself or be kind to myself until I hit the standard of, of perfection. And so unconsciously inside of us, there's a part of us that knows that. And that internal self rejection is felt so that part of us that sometimes feels rejected by what we're projecting kicks in sabotages because there's a drive inside of us hope this is making sense but there's a drive inside of us that is seeking to be loved unconditionally exactly as we are by us You know, yeah. so, so, so sometimes the drive to, 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 to screw shit up is a drive inside of us that is seeking for our own unconditional loving, for our own unconditional acceptance. And so we, we sometimes rebel unconsciously. We sometimes rebel against being the idea of what we think we should be in order to be lovable because that drive inside wants us to love ourselves as I am right now. Mm-hmm. And I think when we can start realizing, and it's, it's very subtle, right? But when we can start realizing that, that it's not about the issue. In so many ways, we make the issues the issue. I'm this way, I'm that way, I'm insecure, I'm not that. that, that. We make the issues the issues. And the real issue is not the issue. Yeah. The real issue is how we relate to ourselves. And the real issue is how we relate with ourselves as we deal with the issue. And the real healing happens, not just in the healing of the issue, the real healing happens in how we go about healing the issue. And the real healing happens when we apply loving to ourselves. Healing is that application of love to those parts of ourselves that are hurting. So you can't, Abuse yourself into into self-loving. You can't abuse yourself into healing, terrorize yourself into healing. 
you know? And so the ability to then feel those parts of you that you feel are unlovable or don't deserve love or that you're ashamed of, that you, that you don't want anyone to know about, that you feel if people knew about that, they wouldn't love you. The ability for you to turn to those parts and meet them with a bit of compassion. The ability to turn to those parts and meet them with a, a bit of gentleness because underlying every behavior is usually positive intention. And often those parts of us that we judge harshly as unlovable, they're all seeking something. They're usually seeking to try to get us something that is healthy. It's just that the way we learn to try to get that need met it may be toxic, may be unhealthy, might be detrimental to us, but that's the only way. Typically, from a very young, you know, stage in our life, that's the only way we learn how to do that: to betray ourselves, to act a certain way, to give our power away, you know, to sabotage something. And often, that's how we learn to be a victim and thing. And and you know, and so when we can recognize that underlying every behavior is, is a positive intention, then we can acknowledge not the behavior but the intention and bring loving to that part of ourselves, which then helps us actually shift the behavior that we're trying to change. And so then we can start loving ourselves as we are. And when we can love ourselves truly just as we are for who we are, that's when real healing can happen, you know, on, on a personality level. But what I will say too, is there is no perfection at the level of the personality. Mm -hmm. There's no perfection. It, it doesn't exist. There's no, and so Stop seeking. I, I often tell people, stop seeking perfection at the level of your personality. Because no matter how much therapy you do and how much healing you do and how much plant medicine you do, how much meditation you do, how much whatever you do, your personality is always going to be, you know, somewhat imperfect. That doesn't mean there can't be more spaciousness and more compassion and more openness inside of some of those places of contraction where we've learned to be conditioned. There can be more we can massage those places, but the personality won't be perfect. And I think when we realize that and we stop looking for perfection at the level of the personality and start loving our imperfection, we start loving mm -hmm. ourselves even in the imperfection, knowing that the dimension of our being, true, our true self is perfect, whole, complete. Our true self is love itself. We are love itself at that deepest level. We're whole, perfect, and complete, and nothing can change that. I think that's when we can relax. I agree. And I love so much that you said that because I think when we're on the spiritual path and we decide to express ourselves in a more spiritual way or what we see or we think is spiritual, ah, it feels yes. very much the same of, oh, I have to check this box and then I'm a little more spiritual and I, then I'm doing this box and I have to do all these things and the things we see on Instagram, right? Where we yes. think, like, oh, I have to, you know, take a bath with crystals and go meditate on a mountaintop and I love so much the point that you make in your book, which I always try to make too in this space is the idea of exactly what you just said is that we're whole exactly as we are. But the point that you say in your book is that we're also, the, our spirituality isn't separate from us. It's not yeah. like we decide to, to be spiritual. We already are. We are spirit. Yeah. You know, we are spirit. We are spirit and every aspect of life is a manifestation of spirit. Right. And so I think spiritual, you know, I think we've gotten caught up where spirituality has become a little sexy today. And I think it's great yes. that we're, we're thinking a bit more that way. It's, I think it's wonderful. 
But I think I think to deepen it, you know, it's not like because you wear that particular, you know, outfit or you wear that particular color or, you know, because you have some crystals or you went to Sedona or what have you. It's like spirituality is your being spirituality. You can't not be spiritual. You don't have to try. It can't not be that. And so for me, spirituality is, is what we get to live in daily life. Yeah. And it's really about how you live. And I often tell people, look, don't talk to me about spirituality if you're cheating on your girlfriend. Don't talk to me about spirituality if you're lying all the time. Don't talk to me about spirituality if you can't show up on time. Like spirituality is how you live your life and the ability to live in integrity with your own spirit and honor another person's spirit and honor the spirit inside of each person. To me, that's spiritual. Like spiritual is every moment, regardless of whether you're in the temple, you're not in the temple, whether you're you know, on the yoga mat or whether you're in a movie theater or you're in a festival. It's just, can I honor the spirit inside of me and honor, honor the spirit inside of another being? That recognition is, is when every moment becomes kind of, let's say, sacred. You know, every moment becomes holy. Every moment becomes special. Every moment becomes like alive. To me, that's that's spirituality. It's like, how do we live? How do we live? Like, I have met people who they can quote the Bhagavad Gita. They can, you know, do all the mantras and the malas and, you know, do 17,000 yoga postures. But they treat, they, 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 they treat this, their, 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 their spouse like shit. I'm like, wait a second. Oh, is that, like, spirituality has to be lived from yeah. the heart. And, and I think... It's living with love, really. Yeah. It's living with love. You know, it's yeah. seeing another person truly as a soul and it's living with love and kindness in daily life. To me, there's nothing more, let's say, spiritual than that. Yeah. I think to bring it full circle, surrendering to the gift of the present moment yeah. and honoring that that all we have is right now. And to do that, like you said, with love and kindness. Yeah. And, and just being clear for people too, you know, just a side note that, surrender like like there's so many misconceptions even around the sort of spiritual scene of what surrender is this idea that surrender is weak or surrender is passive or surrender means like waving a white flag or you know even the spiritual scene all surrender means like giving everything up and wearing robes going to the himalayas and and you know shining with oming with incense and that means be like that's what surrender means and i'm actually saying so, so there's this misconception around surrender. Uh, and I'm actually saying that, you know, surrender is actually the most powerful thing that we can do. To me, surrender is the, the key to manifestation, the key to your next level. That this idea that if we surrender, you might not manifest your goals, dreams, and desires, you might get less. I really want people to understand that if you surrender, what if you didn't get less, but you got you got more, more, more than you could even have imagined with your logic, with your ego, with your with your mental, conscious, personal mm-hmm. intention? Because when you surrender, you go beyond yourself. And if you look at the truly great ones, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, Mandela, Martin Luther King, Elon Musk, you know, like him, hate him, at some point. They all have to surrender themselves to life, to something bigger, to a bigger vision. And when they surrendered, they transcended their human limitations and they tapped into another dimension 
of infinite potential. And that's when life began to use them and life began to create through them. And so what I have found and experienced is what life can manifest through us is more than we can even manifest and think for ourselves. And so surrender is letting go of control, the idea of control that we think we have for the control freaks out there. If you look at the last couple of years, I think the last few years have shown us we might not be as in control as we thought, yeah. uh, as we thought we were. And so surrender is letting go of control, letting go of trying to force life to fit our idea of how we think it should be, you know, not knowing that sometimes our ideas are so small that we're limiting life. Like we think we know what we want and we go to life thinking we want that peanut, thinking that peanut's amazing, but life is trying to give us a freaking buffet. But we're like, no, 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 it's, it's got to be that peanut. No, 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 my soulmate has to be this person who is not right for me, but it's got to be that person. So, so living forcing is, is the limitation. So surrender is to take the limits off of life and truly be open, truly be available so that life can unfold and life can express so that we can then allow life to begin showing us and leading us and guiding us. And I think that's when the magic happens. And that's why I say, if you want more magic in your life, and when I say magic, you know, magic is that which is not like hocus pocus, but is that which is beyond our mm -hmm. ego's capacity to even imagine what's possible. It's, it's, beyond our wildest dreams that we can't even see right now. So most of us would say, yeah, I want some magic in my life. The thing is, you have to surrender. We want magic, but we don't want to sur surrender. We want to hold on to who we were and what we were. It doesn't work that way. If you want more magic, you have to surrender. And that's why I say surrender is the password to freedom and magic and more bliss and joy. And so I hope people feel excited to surrender more in their lives, even if it's a, a small step. So speaking of the magic of surrender, might you tell us a little bit about your book? Yeah, this is what the book is about. You know, the book is about surrendering and finding the courage to let go so that you can allow life, this intelligence of life. The last thing I'll say is like, how can, how can we not trust? How do we not trust? People say, how do you trust? How do we not trust when right now you and I are sitting here and we've been having this conversation and you're breathing and I'm breathing and it's just happening. You're not sitting here and I'm not sitting here going, shit, breathe, breathe, breathe. Let me do some fancy technique. Breathe. It's just happening yeah. in spite of us. You had mm -hmm. breakfast, you had lunch, someone had dinner, maybe you had a salmon or a kale or a smoothie. How is it that your finger doesn't turn into a salmon or a kale? There is an intelligence. There are trillions and trillions of processes that are happening inside of your body. To me, like, just feel your body for a moment. Like, just take a moment to meditate on this mechanism that is just your biology to feel mm -hmm. the infinite intelligence that is unfolding inside. What is living you? What is breathing you? And just to, like, sit with that, that should start moving you in the direction of a bit more trust. You cut your finger. How is it that your body knows how to heal? That infinite intelligence knows exactly what to do. You know, the sun, the star, the moon, to me, the sun, the star, the moons, this intelligence is functioning all of existence. And for billions of years, we, like, we don't trust it. All of life is living proof that we can trust, like this, 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 this intelligence, like intelligence of life. Somehow we trust Siri on our phone more then we trust the universe. Like so Siri, sh show me how to get there. Do we, we, we never question Siri. Turn left, we turn left, we turn right, we turn left, we turn, and then we show up. We never go, Siri, um, 
Are you sure about that, Siri? We, we just go. Yet when our soul says, write that book, call that person, go in that direction, we start questioning and we start questioning and we start questioning. And so the magic of surrender is really uh, kind of a roadmap to help you surrender and give you some of the tools and the inspiration to live surrender more practically in your life. And uh, yeah, I, I really hope people are inspired. To me, I feel that the last few years have been initiating us as a humanity into a new way of being. One that is less about ego, which is all about like control and ego-based living and creating like, what do I want? And I tell people, you might get everything you thought you wanted only to realize that what you thought you wanted was not what you really wanted. It was just what you thought you wanted based on who you were. And you can live a good life that way. You can manifest. But to me, the new paradigm is living in harmony with yourself, living in harmony with life. And that's when miracles happen. That's when Mandela, like, look at Mandela, 26 years in prison, 27 years in prison. Should that not have happened? Should he have spent one year in prison? But the fact that it unfolded that way prepared him. The fact that he, he ended up in that situation prepared the consciousness of humanity to, so that he also had the time to develop the mental, emotional, soul force where he was capable of impacting a generation and generations to come. Could he have planned that life? That, he could not have even planned that. And so if someone's having a hard time trusting, look at all the things that didn't work out but they turned out better than you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Or look at the things that didn't work out that you thought turned out worse. And then now backtrack and go, wow, if that didn't happen, if I didn't break up, then I wouldn't have then gone, moved a different city, gone to a different job and met my soulmate. And so even sometimes in the moment where we think shit's going in a direction that we can't understand, life is always working out for, for our highest good, even if we can't see it and understand it right now. And so, the question that I would invite people moving forward to just sit with is not just what do I want? And I talk about this in the book, but the question is asking yourself a different question. What is it, what is it that life wants to express through me? What is it that the universe wants to manifest through me? What is it that this, what is it that my soul is seeking to express? You know, what, what is the deepest impulse of my soul that is seeking to express and to take some time to be still daily and just feel that if you really just, be still and feel that you will feel beyond your logic and mind, life nudging you in a direction that you, you won't always understand because it's, it's arising from a part of you that's beyond your conditioned mind. And when we create from the conditioned mind, we tend to create more of the same. But when, when we allow ourselves to be guided by the impulse of life, that is what we are, there's no limits to what's possible. Yeah. And when we then align our actions, our intentions, our visualizations, our thoughts, strategies, actions with this deepest impulse, and we move in that direction, uh, that's when the magic happens, you know? And so that's really, in a sense, in, in a sense what the book is about. Um, if I can just say, as I know we're wrapping up, but yeah. uh, the Magic of Surrender paperback comes out May the 3rd, for those that might feel a calling. Um, it's been out for a year, but the paperback comes on May the 3rd. And so on May the 7th, I'm doing uh, a really special live event to celebrate those that pre-ordered the paperback uh, on May the 7th uh, for three hours. I'm doing an event called Reinvent Life, which is really about how to 
let, let go of who you were and connect with your truth and share your gift with the world. And so whoever pre-orders before May the 3rd on Amazon, you can go to the website, www.coopblackson.com forward slash reinvent seminar and uh, enter your receipt and name and email and get access to free gifts and, and the seminar. Awesome. I will put all of that in the description to this episode for everyone to listen. And just thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. It's been a joy. And as I told you, I like to end with just wise words out there. I mean, you just said an hour worth of them, but wise words for anyone listening who just needs that extra pick me up today to step into their best self. What are your wise words to end on? Okay, I'm going to go for it. You are going to die. You're going to die. Feel that. I want you to feel your death, not as a morbid thing, but just feel the reality of it. We're all going to die as human beings. You're going to die. Feel it. As human beings, we so often run away from it. It's the only guarantee. Jesus died, Buddha died, Bruce Lee died, Muhammad Ali died, Mandela died. We're going to die. It's going to happen. The thing is, none of us know when the moment will come. People in 9-11 had no idea that they weren't going to come home that night and look their loved ones in the eyes and say, hey, I'm sorry, or I really love you. And so if death came right now, would you be ready? Feel your death. And if not, why not? What's unsaid? What's ungiven? What's unexpressed? What's uncommunicated? What's held back? What would you need to do and give and express and say and forgive so that if death came, you could be ready? Because whenever that moment comes and we meet our maker, none of us can go to God and say, hey, God, can I get a refund on those two years that I wasted in that relationship that I knew wasn't right? Can I get a refund on those five years that I wasted in that job that I hated? It's gone. And so how would you need to live in such a way that when that moment comes, and I hope we all get to live a long life, but how would you need to live in such a way so when that moment comes, you can be ready because the moment is coming. So feel your death and let the reality of that get you in touch with how precious every moment is, how sacred, because every moment is not a right, it's a privilege. And we don't know how long we have. So live each moment in a way that you have no regrets. That's what I would leave you with. Thank you so much for listening to House of Enlightenhood. As always, I am so grateful for your support. If you enjoyed the show, please share it or leave a review or subscribe. A little bit goes a long way. You can find me, your host, Lena Lemos, over on Instagram at I am Lena Lemos or Enlightenedhood. But honestly, there is so much more going on within our spiritual cooperative platform than is happening on social media these days. Until next time, you beautiful souls. <laughs> <laughs>